What's up, everybody? This is Daniel Atondo. I'm the lead pastor at Eden Church, and we're so excited that you've joined us on the Eden Podcast. The next 30 minutes, we hope, will add value to your life, deepen your connections to others, but most importantly, we want to help you grow in your faith. Thanks for tuning in. Let's get started. I'm going to follow Daniel's lead and just say I'm, I'm wearing two pair of underwear this morning, so I didn't plan on saying anything about it, but... Uh, since, since he did. Uh, my wife and I are really glad to be with you guys. This will be our second time actually being here with you, and it's been a, it's been a pleasure. Um, uh, Daniel and I, as he shared, met a couple years ago, but what he didn't share was that for a lot of years before that, um, I had been praying that God would bring um, men and women leaders into our community um, for the sake of the church, uh, just like uh, you have in your pastor here. And Last week I was with him and he was sharing with a group of people just his vision for this church and what he's seen God do here. And I tell you, my heart was uh, just filled with um, such joy and gratitude and thanksgiving for Daniel. So, uh, huge crush on him. Uh, I just want you to know as I uh, begin today. And then the church, what's so wonderful about your church. Uh, if this is kind of your first connection to a church, you may not know how special this is, but this uh, authentic community that's being built here um, is, is nothing short of spectacular. Uh, I love how you say it, a no secret handshake kind of place where you can come and just be who you are, where you are in your spiritual journey. And so hopefully our time together in God's Word this morning will assist you in that. It will be something that causes you to think um, and maybe causes you to get in touch with some of what I believe God's doing in your life uh, right now, even as we, as we sit here. I love the series you're doing, and I particularly like the way Daniel started it off when he talked about the reality that uh, the backdrop for any growth in our life is to realize that we are not alone, and to realize that God is in the habit and the business of redeeming loss in our lives, but to also realize that we have a part to play in that, that we have something that we can choose to make a difference in in our lives. And so it's in that category, that third one in particular that I want us to focus today. And let me start by saying that one of the things the Bible makes clear is that Jesus stakes his reputation on how we relate to one another. It actually has a lot to say about where you're at in your spiritual development and, and maybe no clearer picture of where you're at than your relationships with one another. I don't think it'll surprise you, even though, um, again, I find myself numbered among the older people in a room. It just seems to be happening more, more and more often. But I don't think it will surprise you even to think about this reality that relationships and the way we relate to people has changed today, dr dramatically. Some of the significant factors is we are more mobile. used to work for about 15 years with college students. And I remember thinking and dreaming some days it would be wonderful to work with adults because college students are there for two, three, four years, and then they're gone. And you just don't get to continue the relationship. And then my wife and I worked for seven years in a North Shore uh, Chicago suburb and led a church, and the average length of time people were there was three years. And then now we're in Silicon Valley, and I don't have to tell you the reality of that. And so this transient nature um, definitely affects the way we relate to people. The other thing I want you to think about is we all have something in common. If I were to ask you, what's the, what do you think is the most common thing we all do when we first wake up in the morning? 
what would you say? A little louder. Check your phone. That's the number one thing. I heard coffee and bathroom, and those are legit things too, all right? But the number one thing, 61% of us check our phone within five minutes of when we wake up in the morning. 46% of us do it before we even get out of bed. Now, if you're a millennial here, you do it, there's 67% of you check it within the first five minutes. I know one millennial was telling me after I shared this once that it's one of the reasons why he plugs his phone in another room. It's just to get a little space because, I mean, what's the benefit to the start of your day to open up your phone and to read what your friends did last night that you didn't get invited to, right? You're thinking, I was free and I didn't get invited and that begins to, to launch your day. And so the second factor really is the, the technology and the way it affects us. Now, don't roll your eyes at me because I'm not some backward Luddite that wants to go back to the days of horse-drawn carriages or um, where doctors made frequent uses of leeches and things like that. All right, That's not what I'm saying. I appreciate my iPhone and my computer. It's just an observation that we're paying little attention to the unintended consequences as far as how we relate to one another. Mobility, technology, third, wealth has a way of changing the way we relate to people. Virtually all of you, within the sound of my voice, are rich. All right? You go to globalrichlist.com, enter in your salary and see where you stand. If you make $25,000, you're in the top 2% of our world as far as wealth goes. If you make 100000 if you're fortunate enough to crack the six figures, you're in the 0.08% of the entire world. We now pay people uh, to do things that we used to do together. And I think what I'm saying long term is the hiring out of having your fence built with your neighbor as opposed to doing it together with them has consequences to our relationships with one another. So, I could name other reasons, the collapse of the family, but I think, I think the point's been made. So there are a lot of factors today working against relationships. And what I want to commend to you, if we live, if we live among those factors mindlessly, then we're at risk of experiencing what the Apostle Paul, one of the writers of the New Testament, had to say in Ephesians 4. Let me read these words to you. So I tell you this, and I insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now this Gentile is not an ethnic slur. That's not what he's saying. When you read Gentile in the New Testament, you should understand it as a philosophy that is built almost entirely within the confines of the world. And so he further describes this mindset that is so inculcated in just... Uh, living mindlessly in the world, and what happens alongside this mindless living. Verse 18, they are darkened in their understanding, and they're separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they're full of greed. And he, he just describes this kind of slippery slope that happens. They've become callous. They've lost all sensitivity we, we so turn in on ourselves and thereby make of ourselves the end game. And he's, he's sort of describing the results. And if, you, if we kept on reading this morning, we'd see that a lot of the results show up in the way that we relate to people. That's where we'll, we, we will see this. The, and the way we relate to people has changed. We're more alone today 
whether you realize it or not, than we were 50 years ago. There are fewer and fewer sightings of meaningful relationships, and we were made for relationships. And even if you're like me, and if you really value your time alone, if you're more of a loner, even you would admit that too much time alone, and you end up like Tom Hanks talking to volleyballs, and (laughs) you find yourself so isolated, there's a reason why solitary confinement is a punishment, not a gift, right? We were made for relationships. So let let me set this up by describing the levels of relationships in our lives. I'm going to go with this zero-level relationship, which is that we're just aware that other people exist. Okay, There's 700-plus billion, and somehow in our mind we see ourselves as somehow related to them. Then there's what we'll call a level-one relationship, and these are the relationships where we wave and we smile. They're the relationships that we have with our neighbors, with our business associates, perhaps with maybe a hundred or hundreds, maybe, you know their face. A level three relationship, excuse me, a level two relationships are those we greet by name. They're those that you have come to know their name, either because you've wanted to or because you've needed to. And there are probably about 100 to 200 people in each of our lives that are in this category of a level two relationship. And then there's a level three relationship, and that is that level of those people that we will stop and talk to. If we pass by them on the road, it would be weird not to just stop and have some interaction with them. You have probably about 10 to 30 of these kind of relationships in your life. Now, a level four relationship, I'd like to just define as those that we strategically plan to be with. These are the ones we choose and we make effort to spend time with. This would be your marriage. This would be your very best of friends. And you perhaps have one to five people at most in your life that occupy the space. They know you well. They trust you. You trust them. They know some of your secrets. You can count on them. What is often called 2 a.m. friends. The friends you can call at 2 a.m. when something's going on. And they'll show up and maybe they'll even, even stay. I have just a few of these. My wife and I were talking about that this week. Tragically, I think many people go through life without anyone who fills this space. A level four relationship then, let me say it this way, is someone who demonstrates an irrational commitment to your well-being. An irrational commitment. Not just unconditional, but it doesn't even make sense how committed they are to you. In week one in this series, you looked at the value of grace, didn't you, in in relationships. And especially in the context of marriage, it's best experienced as something we need to live out. And then last week, I understand you looked at how to have a fair fight and how to consider what that looks like in relationship. This week, I want to commend another value to you to challenge you. And it will only make sense in these level four relationships. But as you move to a level four relationship, this becomes more significant. This week I want to look with you at this value of loyalty in your relationship. An Old Testament book by the name of Proverbs, which is among the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, says this, many many claim to have unfailing love, but a faithful person who can find. A loyal person who can find. Now there are many examples of loyalty. In classic fiction, we know them in Tom Sawyer and Huck Finn. Right, Frodo and Sam, you know uh, Sherlock Holmes and Watson, Horatio and Hamlet. We read stories of this kind of commitment. 
we look at stories in the Bible that talk about these kind of relationships. In, in the Old Testament book of Job, it talks about these friends that show up alongside difficult things in his life. They don't get high marks for, for, for what they say and the advice they give, but they get high marks for showing up. Paul and Barnabas in the New Testament, again, these close, committed friends. But, but I think today, for my money anyway, the best help can come from understanding the high call of loyalty that showed up in the relationship of a guy named David with a guy named Jonathan in the Old Testament. It's in the book of 1 Samuel. And uh, those of you that know the story know that Saul was the first king over Israel. And Saul started really well as a king, but he, but he ended very poorly. And as a result, God said to him, he's now going to remove the kingly line from Saul, and he's going to give it to another. David was a young teenage boy who got anointed king to take his place. And there was a period of time, years actually, between when David was anointed king and and when he actually became king as Saul continued to hang tenaciously to the throne. And during this time, David developed this really deep bond with Saul's son, whose name was Jonathan, the one who would have been the heir of his father's throne. Saul never accepted the fact that Jonathan wasn't going to be the king But Jonathan was not so sure, and so over this time, this close friendship developed, and I imagine some sort of hard conversation that the two of these guys as friends had to have, right? At some point, Jonathan must have said to David, you know, David, my father says I'm going to be king someday, I'm going to sit on the throne, but I'm not so sure. David, after a long pause, perhaps said, Jonathan, can can I tell you something that I haven't told very many people? Jonathan says, well, you sure can. We, you know, we've been friends now. We, we're past that. And so David says, you know, a prophet came to my house and after meeting all my brothers, sent for me and, and anointed me as king of Israel. Which means, Jonathan, that no, not only are you not going to sit on the throne, and I am, but that your father wants to, to kill me. And what happens alongside this reality is that Jonathan put in this impossible position, makes a decision out of loyalty to David and to this friendship. He makes a pledge. We read it in in verse 3 of 1 Samuel 18. And Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as himself. A covenant is not a word we use too much anymore, but the Hebrews had a particular word for this kind of covenant. This kind of covenant was called a hesed. Uh, You may see it spelled H-E-S-E-D or C-H-E-S-E-D, which is designed to be pronounced chesed, right? And it's this idea of a steadfast love. It's a bedrock kind of love. Oftentimes you'll see it translated in the Bible as faithfulness or as loving kindness, but what its best translation is, scholars would say, is, is loyalty. This covenant, this chesed, this loyalty. And in 1 Samuel 20, where Jonathan pledges his covenant love to David, you find it used. Verse 8, as for you, show hesed to your servant. Jonathan in verse 14 responds, okay, but you show hesed to me. David, you, you can count on my loyalty, but can, can, I, can I count on yours? In verse 16 of chapter 20, we read, so Jonathan made a covenant with the house of David, saying, may the Lord call David's enemies to account. And Jonathan had David reaffirm his oath out of love for him, because he loved him as he loved himself. And so with that, the die is cast. That the deal is sealed. You don't find Jonathan thinking, you know, maybe my dad's right. I I will be king. I better 
Kind of keep my options open here. You don't find David saying, you want a commitment for me for the rest of my life? I have no idea what I'm going to be like when I become king. I'm not sure I can give you that. Here's a definition for us to work with today. Loyalty is putting certain things beyond the range of impulse in our relationship with someone. Loyalty recognizes that there are some things in life that is so important that we want to put them beyond the range of impulse, to protect them from our mood swings, to protect them from our insecurity flares, to protect them from our frightened feelings. Right? That's what marriage is, in many ways, at the core, isn't it? If you've experienced that or you're considering that, you know it's a covenant whereby you enter into a relationship that is not open-ended. It's not some sort of private understanding. We are saying, I am committing to you beyond the range of any impulse that I might feel. You can count on me. I pledge to you. A loyal person is willing to make a sacred covenant. Now, now why should we do this? Because there are, in fact, some things so important in life that we can't leave them to chance. We can't leave them to the whim of our feelings in the moment. Perhaps you've made some of these kind of vows in your life. I have. I made the first one, I think, on the day I gave my life to Jesus and was baptized. When I declared it both privately, internally, and publicly on display, I, I, I pledged my chesed loyalty to Jesus. The second was when I got married. A vow I pledged to my wife. A third was when I was ordained. I was charged with leading the church of God and I've made a vow of hesed to the church. Fourth happened on the occasion when my kids were born. We dedicated them and we said we will uh, care for them not just when it feels good or is convenient. And then to a few friends, I made this vow. I'll be with you and I'll be for you. And none of these are open-ended to me. Because when one is loyal, one makes a promise. Not done perfectly in any of those, certainly. But the question sort of lingers for all of us. What covenants in your life, uh, what signs of loyalty have you made uh, where you have taken things out of the realm of impulse? I want to say three things to commend this kind of loyalty to you. Here's the first one. Hesed loyalty will cost you. It's going to cost you something. It's, it's not free and it's not easy. When you allow your heart to be given to another like that, you can count on some things. And one of them, beyond inconvenience, is just pain. It's just painful to be in that kind of relationship. Look at David and Jonathan. David's on the run from Saul, Jonathan's dad. He's in a temporary home in this place called Ziklag, and a messenger comes to inform him, David, Saul is dead. But David, Jonathan was killed too. His best friend, the person who he had pledged, maybe the only one, but certainly chief among those he had pled, pledged this trusted Hesed to, is gone. He's heartbroken. He writes a lament, if you want to read it sometime, in 2 Samuel 1, and it reads like a, a profound eulogy. You can't help but feel David's pain as he talks about Jonathan, who lived at a place in his life where he felt protected by Jonathan. He, he felt Jonathan laid aside his own interest for the sake of his interest. There's a cost to Hesed and it's often pain. What mother in here doesn't know that reality? 
If you choose this kind of love, it will both be your highest calling and the most costly commitment of your life. Both your blessing in the greatest way and your sorrow in the deepest way. It's glorious, but it's also costly. Here's a second thing to consider. Hesed loyalty will bless you. It will bless you. 2 Samuel 9, the story rolls forward with David and Jonathan. It's several years now, and David is sitting as king over the nation of Israel. His position is secure, unquestioned. There aren't a lot of battles going on. He has a lot of time to kind of think, and he finds himself reflecting on this friendship he had with, with Jonathan. And he's wondering to himself, is there anything I can do to still act out of that sense of loyalty that I feel to my friend that's even gone? So in 2 Samuel 9.1 we read, David asks, is there anyone still left at the house of Saul to whom I can show kindness for Jonathan's sake? Even Jonathan's death, in his death, David continued to want to bless him if there was any way he could. And so he goes to one of Saul's former employees that's still serving in the, in the palace, and he says, is there anybody left from Saul's line, from Jonathan's line? And the servant tells him, well, yes, as a matter of fact, there is. Jonathan had a son. His name was Mephibosheth. And when the palace was being cleared and this changing of the regime, um, someone perhaps carrying this young child had dropped it and he had become injured. And this nurse carried him away and, and protected him. And he was now a man. And David sent the commander of his army to go find Mephibosheth, Jonathan's son, and to bring him to the palace. Now can you imagine what that felt like for Mephibosheth? Suddenly, the, the, the commander of David's army is coming, perhaps probably not even telling you why you're being summoned to the king's presence. And he arrives and he bows low to the king in fear, and he rises in astonishment when he hears these words, verse 7 of 1 Samuel 9, Don't be afraid, David said to him, for I will surely show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan. I will restore to you all the land that belongs to your grandfather that belonged to your grandfather, Saul, and you will always eat at my table. Loyalty is costly for sure, but it, is a, it brings blessing as surely. Here's one more thing to consider. Hesed loyalty reflects uh, the very character of God. Jonathan asked David to show him Hesed like that of the Lord. David asked if there's anyone left to whom he could show God's Hesed. You see, Hesed loyalty is the very nature of God. Some of the songs we sung this morning about God's loving kindness talk about that very core nature of who God is. When the psalmist writes in Psalm 136, his love endures forever. What he's writing is his loyalty, his Hesed endures forever. And when Paul says in Ephesians 5 these words, follow God's example, therefore, as dearly loved children, and walk in the way of love just as Christ loved us and gave Himself up for us as a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. He's pointing to God's covenant love. David puts it in a song when he says, But you, O Lord, are compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The Lord is gracious. He's compassionate. Steadfast love. That's Hesed. The grand story of the Bible, as some like to refer to the upper story, which I love that 
terminology, that there is an upper story that God is writing since the beginning of mankind. All of these lower stories that we read about in the Bible, as well as the lower stories that we're living in our lives, they are all being woven into this great, grand, upper story that God is writing. That, and, and that upper storyline of the Bible is that God's loyalty brought Him pain. And yet He covenanted to rescue us. He put it outside the realm of any impulse when He sent Jesus to this earth. It cost Him dearly. But just like Mephibosheth, who was in the wrong line, he was now the enemy's child, helpless and absolutely defenseless, just like him. We are now able to experience the blessings of being moved to the king's table. So two questions come out of this. The first, is there any chance that you've been trying to get away from God? Trying to hide from God because your perception of Him is not a God that has this kind of love and loyalty towards you. But, but rather he's a God that's looking to get you to kind of straighten you out and to try to fix you and to try to bring down the, the hammer on some of the things you're doing in your life. Could it be true that this kind of loyalty your Creator has already made and expressed towards you? The second question is, have you been loyal anywhere lately? You see, here's the reality. Most people you know want to know you because you're useful to them. Most people you know, you know because they're useful to you. Now before this sounds way too cynical, coming from an an old guy, think about it. The reality is that a lot of your relationships, you're in them because they're useful either for business, or they're useful for fun, or they're useful for getting things done, or they're useful for meeting other people. We bring this utilitarian approach to our relationships quite naturally. But these are means to an end relationship. We haven't really taken anything out of the realm of impulse in most of our relationships. We're thinking about relationships when we talk about loyalty that are an end in themselves. You may not have many of these, but woe to you if you're not looking to, to build that and to have that in your life. Would you bow your heads with me and allow me to pray? Father, I thank You for Your loyal love for us. I thank You for the gift of unfailing kindness that You've given to us in Jesus. Lord, thank You for the high calling to be imitators of that love. You've so radically changed us by your loyalty. We, we now have radical possibilities with us in our relationships. May we be as loyal as you are loyal. I pray these things in Jesus' name and for Jesus' sake. Amen. Amen. All right. Can we show some love to Bob? Thank you so much.